We stand together. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is clear and understandable. Uh, Our problem is not often understanding it. It's wanting to believe it and do what it says. So please would you help us tonight by your Holy Spirit to hear your word and to believe it and to respond to it in the right way. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just sit down and take hold of a, a Bible again and turn back to Luke chapter 10. I was trying to think of a, a witty rebut to Paul's comments, but it will probably come to me sometime tomorrow afternoon, as these things always do, so I'll just need to let it go for the moment. Uh, do turn your Bibles back to Luke 10 and verse 25. Uh, well, it, it is the last day of the World Cup. Uh, for some, uh, it's not come too soon. Uh, for others, the weeks ahead will seem empty and miserable. No more conversations about tactics, cheating players bad refereeing. For some of my friends, it it seems as if uh, conversations about football are almost as enjoyable as the game itself, if not more. During these four weeks, uh, do you notice this? They they all become experts, don't they? Uh, They all become experts about football. Uh, They love talking about strategies, formations, how, how to play it. And every opinion is taken seriously, except the England manager's ones, of course. Well, actually, almost every opinion. Mary Zekart, writing in the Times, made some comments about the beautiful game last week. And it seems they provoked a flurry of protests from her male readers, a woman commenting on football. It appears, she says, girls can't play at football talk. They're just not expert enough. I don't know how you feel about that, but rest assured, when it comes to the Bible, it is reassuring to know you don't have to be an expert to read it. You remember last week, if you were here, that Jesus introduces parables to us. We're going through a series of parables, and he tells us to listen carefully. But he expects us to be able to understand what he says. Actually, he's more concerned that we won't want to accept what he says. We'll understand it, but want to refuse it. But we should be able to understand what he's saying. I suppose one danger would be assuming too quickly that we are experts, especially with familiar stories like this one you've got in front of you, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everyone knows it. It's all about helping people in trouble. But before we give our expert opinion, it's worth noting what prompts this parable, what what provokes it. Just have a look at verse 25. Uh, This is how our reading started. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? I see this simple parable that everyone knows, it it follows a discussion between experts. And there's a test question about eternal life and aspects of Jewish law. Now, I don't know about you, but suddenly I don't feel like an expert. It doesn't seem that straightforward, does it? And you might start to wonder, what is helping a man who's been mugged I got to do with eternal life? So I suppose we'd better start with listening to the question carefully. Now, here it is again. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this lawyer believes in the God of the Bible. He's a a respected Jewish leader. His question doesn't seem to be so much, is there a God? His question is concerned with something we're all concerned about. 
for the future and for him, his future. How do I inherit eternal life? Now the Jews knew that God had said he would one day finally sort out this sin-spoiled world. He'd establish a new creation, wonderful life, with nothing to spoil it. All through the Bible, we're told about it in kind of pictures, different ways of imagining it. Children can live in safety. Work is always satisfying. The humble and not the arrogant are rewarded. There's no more illness. Death no longer separates loved ones. And God rules lovingly and kindly over a perfect world. A great place. And God said he'd save a people for himself. People who reject God and should be judged, but instead he'll save them. And they'll be part of God's kingdom. They'll inherit this eternal life. And it seems what a lawyer is getting at is this. How can I be really sure I'll be part of God's future kingdom? Or put it another way, how can I know I'm really saved? That's a good question, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? You're here tonight and you call yourself a Christian. Have you ever thought, am I really a Christian? Has God saved me? In the end, will I really be okay? And if you're not a Christian, don't think you never ask questions like this. You know you do. Everyone does. You might not think in religious categories, but you you live trying to invest for your future, don't you? You'll have thought things like this. Does my life really matter? When I get to the end, will it have been worthwhile? What happens when I die? Is my life going in the right direction? All of us live kind of looking for eternal life. Real life. And like this expert in the law, we'd like some assurance that we've found it. Now see, our lawyer in the story is already convinced that the answer is tied up with the God of the Bible. And maybe you've not got that far yet, but our lawyer's convinced it's tied up with the God of the Bible, so he's wanting to know, how can I know if I'm really saved by God? That's the question. And as we listen to the discussion, we'll discover some things about God's saved people. The people God saves. And we'll discover some things about people who are not saved. People who get to the end of their lives and find they've got nothing. And we'll also find how to examine our own lives in light of this. And as they start, Jesus says to this lawyer, well, reflect on what the Bible says. I just have a look again at verse 28. This is Jesus' first response. Uh, What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Uh, Let's hear the answers they dig out for us. How can I know I'm really saved? Well, well, first of all, what about God's saved people in verses 27 to 28? I don't know if you're a fast or a slow reader. Uh, I'm a slow reader. Anything more than a John Grisham novel and it takes me ages. I kind of get distracted too easily. Do you ever read a page... And then at the bottom, discover you can't remember anything you've read above it. Do you do that? I I do that all the time. Things just don't seem to go in very easily. Uh, The comedian Woody Allen apparently went on a speed reading course. 
Uh, he said he read War and Peace, Tolstoy's classic, in 20 minutes. Someone asked him what it was about, and he said, I think it involves Russia. <laughs> uh, that's kind of my level of speed reading. Uh, this expert in the law, however, he's done his reading all right. Because he seems to summarize, he seems to summarize how the Old Testament characterizes God's saved people in just a few lines. He must have read the whole thing and he, and he summarizes it in just two lines. It, it's brilliant. He, he tells us what they should be like. And he quotes two Old Testament passages for us that we've read. At Deuteronomy 6, I love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then he quotes something from another Old Testament book, from Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the two things he quotes. And these were words in the Old Testament spoken to God's people who'd been rescued. And they'd been saved from slavery in Egypt. Now, if you would, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's on page 185 in the Bibles you have in front of you. Just, just turn back, Deuteronomy 6. And verse 4, and let's have a a quick look at this together. Now that he saved them, God calls this people to love him. And you start to see what loving God looks like. Just as you look on, let me try and summarize these verses for you. Verses 4 to 6, it seems to be concerned with listening to God. Hear what God's saying. Take his commands seriously. Pass them on to your children. Listen to what God says. That's what you're to do. Take his words seriously. In verses 10 to 12, it seems to talk about your possessions, things you're going to get, houses and vineyards. And the point seems to be, remember the good things you have are God's gift to you. You didn't just get them yourself. No, God provides for your life. Uh, your wealth, uh, where you live. Ultimately, these things come from God. Remember that. And in verses 13 to 16, it seems to be with how many gods there are. Now understand, there is only one God. There's only one saving God. Don't follow any other God that seems to be out there. They're false gods. They won't save you. You run off after them and you find yourself at odds with the one God who can save And you understand what God's saying. See, he made a promise to save these people from Egypt. They're not saved because they've done lots of good things. They're saved because God promised to do it. And they seem to have trusted him. But, if they really have trusted him, they'll go on trusting him. And it looks like this. This is what trusting God looks like. They'll listen to what God says. They'll understand it's him who provides all their needs. They'll remember there's no one else who can save them. They'll trust God. They'll love him with all their hearts, soul, strength, and mind. And these people that he's saving, what has God saved them to be like? What are they going to be like? Well, turn back just a little bit further, page 121. Back to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 1. This is the last part of flicking around we're doing. Leviticus 19, verse 1. And we'll read these words. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, 
Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I just think about that for a moment. And most of us will have friends that we love going to visit. I assume most of us will have that. I certainly do. I'm sure you do. You, you like to spend time with them. You know friends like that. You're probably thinking of them just now. The conversation is good. Their homes are welcoming places. Life feels better for having been there. You've got friends like that. And when you're not taking them for granted, you probably feel like me, grateful. If you're grateful for your relationship, your, your friendship with them. And when you spend time with them, in little ways, you start to want to be a bit like them. Hospitable like they are. You kind of wish your home was open like theirs. The way they're quick to forgive each other and you grump around for ages. The encouragement they show their children, you, you wish you had some of that. The priorities they make as a family, you, you like those things. You, you want to be like them. And you see, God says, I'm saving people. I'm bringing them into a relationship with me so they can be like me. Be like me. Be holy because I am holy. Now that you're saved, enjoy the privileges. So Leviticus 19 and verse 18, for example, if you just look down to that. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, this is what God's like. He's generous. He lovingly saves people who don't deserve it. He saved you, so be like God. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, God's saved people. This is what they're like. They're saved by trusting God. And they're saved to love like God. Live like, live life like him. I turn back over to Luke now. We'll, we'll stay there for the rest of our time. See, now the Jewish people knew that that rescue from slavery, it was, it was like a kind of big picture. It was a, a picture of the, the rescue that everyone needs. Our problem is not physical slavery. It's that spiritual slavery that the Bible calls sin. Sin is where we reject God and want to live our own way. We all do it. We're stuck in it. It ruins life and makes us God's enemies. And there's nothing that we can do about it. Just like those people in Egypt, we need God to save us. So you understand what the Bible is telling us. How do human beings in our messy world get saved? How do you navigate your way through this life so that, in the end you find you've invested in something that leads to eternal life? Well, the answer is you trust God alone to save you. You surrender your life to him and he'll make you save. And you'll know you're trusting him because you'll start to listen to him and find you're starting to love like him. You'll start sharing his kind of life and values. Christianity is not about living a good life so God will save us. It's about trusting God to save us so that he'll enable us to live his good life for his glory. It's incredibly generous, isn't it? We'd be ungrateful fools to refuse it. And this expert in the law seems to know his stuff. And Jesus commends him, verse 28. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. If you're trusting God and listening to him and start, starting to love like him, you will find life. 
That's what saved people start to look like. Okay, secondly, what what about people who are not saved? Just recently, a number of our medical students have qualified. They're doctors now. I think very highly of them. They're great. And some of us were at a barbecue the other week. A few of these new doctors were there, and they were talking about starting work. And And I overheard one of them say, I suppose the important thing is just appearing confident. Now, I don't know about you, but for me that changes everything. (laughs) You might think I'm a little uptight, but to me that's not the important thing at all. Because if someone's about to cut me open, I'm not interested in apparent confidence. I I want them to know what they're talking about. And I know it was just nerves about starting work. I'm sure they do know what they're talking about. But a similar kind of thing happens in our story. This expert lawyer asks another question. And it changes everything. You hear it and you think, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It all happens in verse 29. He says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And immediately you understand what he's saying. Who's my neighbor? Or, who do I need to love in order to have done enough for God? Now look who's recording this story tells us the motivation for the question. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbour? Do you see what's wrong? When it comes to saving his life, this man thinks he can do it himself. The way Luke puts it is he thinks he can justify himself. Well, that's the opposite of trusting God to save you. It's amazing how God can say, you need me to save you. And we can say, you're wrong, we're fine by ourselves. See, people who are not saved, it's because they think they can be good enough themselves. It stands to reason. Why would I bother to ask God to save me if deep down I'm convinced I'm good enough? So some might look at their lives, relationships, money, standing in the community and think, I'm fine. I don't need God. It's very short-sighted. It's very unself-aware. We look at the state of our world, the mess we make of it, our own selfishness and lack of love, and still we think that God would say to us, you've done enough by yourself. You're good enough to share my kingdom, to enjoy eternal life. It is always a disaster when anyone refuses to let God save them. And instead think they're good enough. And if you want proof of that, you don't need to look any further than this lawyer's question. And who is my neighbor? Do you see what he's doing? God's plan is to save people to be like him. God is generous in his love. He'll show it to anyone. And he wants people who fill his world to be like that. Generous and loving. Here's a man who thinks he can be good enough. And the first thing he wants to know is not how generous can I be with love, but how much can I limit love and get away with it? How much can I limit love and still be alright? Who is my neighbour? Do I need to love those next door? The whole street? Those idiots I work with? It's the wrong question, isn't it? 
See, saved people trust God to save them and they'll start to love like God. And people who are not saved, I think they're good enough themselves and they feel justified in limiting love. You'll eventually do that. And so will I, unless God saves us. As you think about this, you start to realize the truth about this lawyer. He doesn't know God. He's not trusting him. He's proud and his love is shallow. And if he carries on like this, he won't inherit eternal life. And when this life is over, he'll find he has nothing in hell. And do you want to know what the really frightening thing is? He thinks he's okay. He thinks he's fine. You see, this isn't a question from a troubled man. Just just look again at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. It's just a test question. Hypothetical for him. He thinks his life is fine. And Jesus knows that. And that's why he tells this parable. To try and help the man examine his life. So here's the third thing just to think about. How to examine your life. From this parable, verses 30 to 37. Who is my neighbour? And Jesus replies. Oh, you know the story. A man going to Jericho. Robbers attack him and leave him half dead. And then three people come along. Verse 31. A priest sees the man, passes by. Verse 32. A Levite sees the man, passes by. Verse 33. A Samaritan sees the man, takes pity on him, cares for all his needs, even when it starts to cost him money. He is generous and gracious with concern. And at the end, Jesus asks a very simple question. Who was a neighbor to the man? It's obvious, isn't it? It's not hard to see. In verse 37, the the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And the lawyer is told by Jesus, go and do the same. Now why tell this story? Oh, this story is intended to help examine his life. It highlights certain things about him. Let let me explain what I mean. Imagine you're at a friend's house and their children are around. Uh, They've got over that kind of shy stage children have with you sometimes. and, And they're excited to have someone new to play with. You're having great fun with them. And then you ask them, are you ticklish? You know what happens when you do that. I've found that even the most honest ticklish people become liars. They always say, no, I'm not. I'm not ticklish. Sometimes they're they're quite convincing, aren't they? You almost think they're not. And then you prod them in the side once. And the game's up. You know it. Can't deny it. Squirming all over the place. Now listen, this parable is like the prod in the side to this man. You prod him in the side and the game's up. You know exactly what's going on. It's intended to expose for himself his self-sufficient pride and his lack of love. See, the priest and the Levite, they're the religious establishment. They are respectability. And for Jews, Samaritans were the worst kind of people, racially and spiritually inferior. A self-respecting Jew wouldn't even speak to one. And Jesus says, go and be like the Samaritan. That's the prod on the side, isn't it? You can imagine the pride flaring. Well, I'm already better than those kind of people. Look how respectable I am. And as for this loving Samaritan, 
You see the real prod in the other side. This lawyer has come asking, how good do I have to be to be saved? And Jesus says, don't you know? Even a Samaritan can be saved and start to love the way God wants. It's not about how good you are. It's about God. God could even save the people you think are the worst and make them into someone who loves in a way that's acceptable to God. Now friends, do you realise when it comes to God, if they trust God to save them, the drug addict in the centre of Sheffield would enjoy more from God than the richest self-satisfied businessman in Fullwood? Or the drug addict in the centre of Sheffield who trusts God would be more acceptable in God's eye than the most attractive, self-satisfied, well-dressed woman in Fullwood? Do you hear Jesus? I know he's speaking to the lawyer when he says, go and do likewise, but these words have been written down for you and me. Jesus is not just saying, go and help people. He's saying, stop being proud. Thinking you're good enough for God, you'll never find eternal life like that. If you're investing your future security in anything other than God, you'll lose it all. Humble yourself. And ask God to save you, then you'll find you start to love like God. And what about you and me? Perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian tonight. I don't know how you feel about Jesus' words as you might be thinking them through. If you take them seriously at all, they're unsettling, aren't they? Your future eternal security is a big thing. You may have more questions. You may wonder what trusting God to save you means. Well, we've said it involves listening to God. And as you listen to Jesus in the rest of Luke's book, you'll hear him speaking about this rescue from sin for eternal life. And he says it's achieved by his death on a cross, his life given for your life. And God demonstrating again his generous love for you. If you want to start trusting Jesus, listen to him explain this rescue. And what about if we're Christians already? Oh, this is a real challenge for us, isn't it? Because what we're seeing is we'll see the evidence of how much we trust God in the way we love other people. And which of your friends would say if they were asked about you, oh yes, I know they love me. Do your friends feel loved by you? But it's not just your friends, is it? You're at school tomorrow, or you're at work tomorrow, and there is an opportunity to help that girl or woman who has been making your life miserable. Why should you? Why should you? And then you remember Jesus. Loving you by going to the cross to save you. He didn't need to do that, but he loved you. It's a real challenge for us, isn't it? Are we trusting God? Well, we'll see it in the way we love other people. And it's more than that, isn't it? Because if you're trusting God, this is very encouraging. And God has saved you so you can be like him. And one day you'll fully enjoy that eternal life. In the meantime, with God's help, 
It is the privilege of the Christian to grow more like God as we trust him and listen to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's easy to come to familiar stories in the Bible and and think we know it and not really listen to it. We remember Jesus' words that we read last week. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. And please would you help us to make sure that we are trusting you, that we are starting to share some of your real life and that there's evidence in the way that we love each other. Please would you help us with that as a church family and individuals. And please would you help us to keep trusting you when we're in work or at school or whatever we're doing this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.